HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. You may have noticed that one Whole Foods Market store is not like the other. We're proud that each of our stores has its own quirks, a direct connection to the surrounding community, and buys and sells their own products. Whether it's artisanal chocolates exclusive to Bowery, small batch pickles in Chelsea, or a featured craft beer on tap at West 97th, you'll find that each store is a little bit different than the next. With six Manhattan locations, Whole Foods Market offers a taste of every neighborhood. Come see us in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today, actually with a return guest, Grace Bonney of Design Sponge. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome. It, it was February when you were last on here, and so much has happened since. <laughs> so <laughs> much has year. happened. It actually went from DesignSpongeOnline.com to Design Sponge. So congratulations on that thanks. transfer. And you have a book. I do. Finally. Yeah, finally. <laughs> the longest process ever. How many years of toil is that? Two years. Yeah. Too ridiculous. People think it's easy. I, know, I wrote the whole book in three months. Yeah. And then spent another year and a half editing and waiting for people to print things. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it came out fantastic. It, Thank it you. shows all that effort. Thank um, you. And the book itself is called Design Sponge at Home, put out by Artisan. Came out this September. Um, it is just an amazing transformation of not only your efforts, but people's spaces and these projects, these DIY things. Uh, there's so much you can do in a house, in a kitchen, in life to transform, you know, ordinary to extraordinary. And this really shows it in such a cool light. Thank but you. 
I don't want to focus on the book right away. I want to focus on your travels. <laughs> All right. Because part of this book is the book tour. Yes. And you just got back from D.C. And now you're going to the West Coast for a couple more book signings and events. And what do you do on tour? <laughs> do you go out and eat? Do you party? Or are you just exhausted? There's no partying happening. Yeah. <laughs> Amy and I, who are traveling, have a, a very strict rule, no drinking, no late nights. Yeah. Or our exciting book tour nights involve getting in bed as early as possible. <laughs> we like to find a local CVS and buy face masks and do them in bed. Re- pamper. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what it's all about is skincare yeah. and drinking lots of water with emergency packets yeah. in it. See, it's the life of a famous author going <laughs> to exciting. CVS and yeah. getting face masks. It's like the anti-rock tour, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should get t-shirts that say anti-rock. We, well, yeah. We're going to make, ban- we're gonna make a tour t-shirt like, you know, old Guns N' Roses style, like all the dates down the back yeah. of them but then it's really it's an anti-rock tour we really are not yeah. partying or anything you just go to cvs get one of those white t-shirts and just do it in sharpie one yeah. night diy yeah project totally New project DIY. Book too. making your own tour t-shirts <laughs> is there a book too <laughs> probably yeah. yeah i mean we've really enjoyed working with artisan it's really rare to find a publisher that embraces a blogger's vision as fully as they did so if they would like to do another book with us, we'll definitely do another one. Although I'd like to take a long break in yeah. between this one and the next one. Yeah. <laughs> long being like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in it, sneak peeks of about 75 locations, uh, about 50 DIY projects. Um, but the spaces, what's so cool is diversity um, from 500 square t- feet to 5,000 and all around the world. They're your Brooklyn locals and then there's <laughs> a couple Australians, uh, you know, a couple people from London. And they're ama- and yours. Your yes. your house is in there. I know my old, my old apartment yeah. is in there. Yeah. yeah. It, the diversity was really important to me that I didn't want the book to get pigeonholed as like hipster Brooklyn apartments or mid-century homes from California, things that people tech, you know, tend to associate with contemporary design blogs with these very specific types of homes and so I really didn't want people to only think it was that so we worked really hard to have homes from like Singapore and London and South America and South Africa so I really tried to find a broad range of locations as well as styles to put in there yeah I mean if you stripped off the location and it didn't say Brooklyn New York or Singapore yeah you probably wouldn't know on a lot and like a great example is uh the owners of Moon River Chatel here in Williamsburg um which is one of my favorite stores I mean uh, the restoration of an old stove uh it was like a 1931 you know hatch handle it's so them yeah (laughs) but I would not have guessed it was in Brooklyn yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people think that has to do more with our aesthetic, but I think it actually has to do with the decrease in regionalism in design right now. I think the internet and the way that design is moving means that you're seeing less regional quirks, or you're seeing fewer quirks. And I think that I, I spent some time in Portland this summer, and it really could have basically been anywhere in Brooklyn. And the same goes for lots of large cities, including Melbourne and you know parts of South Africa. Yeah. I mean, there are d- districts that looked exactly like Brooklyn and I think it's just about everybody sort of having this this unified aesthetic that's a mix of old and new right now and I think you're seeing that everywhere so it, it's fun to see that happen not to bring it back to food but we are you know a food radio <laughs> station but I mean the, the analogy to food also having that same overall tone 
um, you know, old and new combined, uh, you know, seasonal, regional. Yes. Um, but across the board, you can be in Australia and you can be in Brooklyn and have very similar spaces. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the same thing that ha- that's been happening in food for a while now, the sort of locavore movement is happening in design as well. And, and even though these houses look similar, what you're finding between all those houses that people are very into working with local designers, local furniture builders, they're sourcing their, you know, reclaimed wood from their town's dump or wherever they can find it. And that was important in every city. It wasn't just Brooklyn. It wasn't just Portland. It was in London and Australia as well. Yeah, I saw a lot of sustainable fixtures. Yeah. Um, actually, the Moon River Chateau uh, house again, mm-hmm. all the pine that was reclaimed. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even there's a house in Portland, Trish Grantham's house is an artist who lives there and she has a huge giant like birch tree log, which if it was in New York, you'd think someone had spent a ton of money on and had it flown out to yeah. be arranged there. But she actually just found it in the backyard and <laughs> put it up. But that, that sort of raw live edge wood is happening everywhere, not just the States. It's happening in Australia and all sorts of different continents so reclaimed and salvage how far apart are they from each other i mean one seems like you're dumpster diving and the other one seems like you're shopping at a you know a more epicurean yeah i mean you nailed it it's pretty much a pr term they're kind of the same thing i mean i, th- I think that people who do it often probably use the word salvaged a bit more and yeah. reclaimed gets thrown in fancier press releases and on websites but it's pretty much the same thing and it's a great concept no matter what you call it yeah so uh, of the sneak peeks you know i i constantly looked at people's kitchens and was constantly enamored by you know how people set up formal and informal dining spaces um were there some favorites i mean you must have had a kitchen that you coveted yeah absolutely i mean i think it depends on what my mood is i think that there's a home that jessica helgerson did in portland that's in the book um kim and alexis's house that home has continued to be my favorite home since i found it i think in 2007 and it feels like you're outside but inside and if i could live in a tree house i would and that kitchen (laughs) nailed it but there's also a home that's in i think cape town in south africa heather moore's house and she has a gorgeous vintage kitchen and it has sort of avocado green wall units that are stuck in against walnut shelving units and it's a big open kitchen and it's beautiful and in general i'm drawn to open plan kitchens well it was a william brinson who's also a food photographer here in uh, new york had a great open layout beautiful sunlight i mean kind of dark tones and patterns on the wall yeah the wall is black yeah yeah. so much of their house that was a big empty sort of warehousey loft when they bought it we actually shot the book trailer in their house and they painted almost all the walls black which would sort of be antithetical to someone doing photography but it actually works because the whole space feels surprisingly warm and cozy which you wouldn't normally get in a space that big with concrete floors but the black works perfectly and in the wallpaper in the kitchen is a textured wallpaper that you can just paint over so it's actually white like a metal tile and then they paint it black over it no i mean that that was a fantastic looking space yeah the brinsons don't do anything that doesn't look amazing (laughs) (laughs) there were a couple other actual brooklyn spaces that i was blown away by there was one that was pretty much all white and had this wooden sliding door for the bathroom (gasps) and it's you yeah what is that space that's in park slope they i could not and they say they have the whole brownstone right yeah and it's literally right around the corner from my old apartment and i the contrast between my crappy apartment and their amazing (laughs) apartment was just too much for me to ever go in your apartment was crappy it was charming (laughs) it was uh it had brooklyn quirk and uh they gutted a huge huge brownstone on fourth street i think and it's beautiful the whole inside is white and modern and they had that sliding farm door in there it was a great example of young people going in there and sort of applying a new look to 
an unexpected place. I mean, most people, when they get brownstones, tend to keep the traditional details, but they just threw it all out the window. No, and that reminded me of a lot of restaurant interiors right now. Yes. You know, pushing towards uh, clean, but also farmyard. Yes. And that was That's that. Brooklyn. Yeah, great synergy. <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn aesthetic. Um so you're gone from Park Slope, or... I am. Yeah, yeah, where are you now? So we moved to Greenpoint this spring. It was actually the... I lived in Greenpoint when I first moved here in 2003, and I hated it. I don't think I realized <laughs> how great it was until I moved in to other neighborhoods. Really? This Polish sausages everywhere. Well, everything and, closed at 5 o'clock, yeah. and I didn't get home from my job until 7, and so there was no way to buy groceries. So yeah. It drove me crazy. <laughs> but now I love it. It's got... It's great food scene, great music, very relaxed, sort of the coolness that I like about a lot of neighborhoods in northern Brooklyn, but without the overt hipsterdom like you're not seeing any like electric gold lame tights from american apparel yet. yet yeah i'm leaving if that happens <laughs> <laughs> but you say there's a food scene there now where do you yeah. eat out in greenpoint um i mean i live right down the street from manila and so i'll go there as many times a day as they will let me go there and obviously the poly G's pizza place is oh, amazing yeah. delicious um i love eat the e-a-t the dots in between that's delicious I order from Papacitos way too many times a day, <laughs> but those fish tacos are killer. See, but it's nice to have all that. I mean, Park Slope is a great neighborhood, but sometimes it's lacking during the day. Lunch scene there wasn't always what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting better. Fifth Avenue's happening, you know, further down the South Slope is starting to happen, but not enough that I think the the cliche of the, the stroller set with the dogs really just eventually got to me, and I felt like I either need to have my own baby or get out of this neighborhood, <laughs> and I chose to get out of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, I live on Smith Street, so <laughs> I, I see the baby bumps feel my pain. into the strollers often. But I'm not saying anything against the pregnant sect because yes. they could be a good listenership. I'm yeah, not sure. I don't, I don't mind people with children at all, but they seem to mind those of us without children. Yeah, so yeah. I want everyone to get along. Well, maybe better. we can um, jointly start carrying around our larger cats as exactly. if they were children. I carry around my cat in the front of my backpack when I take him to a vet because he won't get in a carrier case <laughs> and. That did not fly so well with the parents. They thought it was really irresponsible. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about our cats in the second half because <laughs> we'll bore all you with our feline fancies. Um, but in moving, I want to talk about your old apartment because I did think it was charming. And charming may uh, also equate to small yeah. <laughs> uh, when it you know is applied to an apartment in Brooklyn. But you had you know that amazing, blazingly orange. Um, pegboard wall. Kitchen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I went to school in Boston and I actually got to see Julia Child's kitchen before it was taken down and reconstructed in the Smithsonian. And it, it's just something to behold. And did you at least carry that over to your new place? I didn't actually because we, we actually have storage space in the new <laughs> apartment, which did not exist in the Park yeah. Slope apartment. Um, although the pegboard remains the best kitchen space saver ever. I mean, she knew what she was doing. There was nothing Julia Child did in the kitchen that wasn't practical and so i think there's a reason that everybody makes that peg pegboard these days i thought about making a really big one but i think i might actually try to put art on the wall in the kitchen and see yeah. if i can get away with well it. you had little plates and stuff yeah yeah i usually put some plates up but i think with this move i try to really just clean the slate and start over and it's a very different apartment the new apartment is white and modern and feels like as treehousey as it could possibly yeah. get which i love so i'm really trying to let go a lot of the older stuff and i got rid of all of my 
overly patterned, really colorful stuff, and I'm trying to embrace something a bit more minimal this time. What does your kitchen look like now? It's nice. It's just a big open white box with appliances and an actual washer and dryer in the kitchen, which I had like a very 1950s Donna Reed moment when I walked in, just kept opening the doors to the (laughs) washer and dryer over and over again. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel you're, it's not pain. It's the opposite. We have washer and dryer in our apartment and that's part of the reason we might never move. Yeah. I think that was, I just felt like this is it. I'm not going anywhere. And there's a skylight in there, which is amazing because our Park Slope apartment was as dark as it gets so it's nice to have some natural light it makes a big difference yeah i feel like you're a few years ahead of me because you're describing (laughs) my situation verbatim right now no direct sunlight you know kitchen off to the side without windows and yeah green point one of these days uh you You just have to put up with a nuclear power plant just a trade-off i grew up across from indian point so (laughs) you're done yeah exactly what are you waiting for papacitos (laughs) anellas come on it is good fish tacos i must say um other people's kitchens there was this amazing red stove in one of the pictures i think in london yeah i might be the singapore apartment too that one had amazing red stove in it i think red's a good color for the kitchen anywhere oh you're thinking of that's graham graham atkins hughes apartment yes that was beautiful and that was a kitchen renovation where they had really dark green walls and a red stove it was beautiful he's a food photographer as well i think that's why i have to i have to definitely check him out um other people that you worked with, too, had fantastic apartments. Yeah. I had originally planned to have a huge editor section in the book. And then when we started to look at how many homes were in the book, we basically had a separate book of homes within <laughs> this book. And we had like 120 homes. And that meant the price of the book just went through the roof. So we had to edit a lot of them out. And that became exclusive online content for a Barnes & Noble's version of the book. But so some of the editors whose homes were still in there are amazing. Amy Merrick's house, who lives just around the corner over here in Williamsburg, has a beautiful home and she has the kitchen where she ripped up the floor and painted a diamond pattern on the underneath hardwood which is a classic Amy Merrick thing that I love about her in the middle of the night in a rental apartment she decided to just rip up the existing floors and paint new ones which I would never do security deposit be damned yeah Yeah. but it's it's beautiful and I love when people just get hit by a desire to do something and embrace it and stay up all night and do it that's how all of my best DIY projects have happened yeah and what are your best DIY projects what are those lightning bolts in the middle of the night Uh, They really depend. I think the headboard that I made that's in the book was one of those. It just finally, I woke up and was like, I have to have this headboard. I can't keep waiting. I'm just going to make it myself. And I have a weird obsession with vintage wooden boxes that I collect at flea markets and turn into things. Well, you know, surprisingly, I was reading through this book and now I have an obsession with vintage wooden boxes. Yeah, especially, you know, on the caster wheels and stuff. Um, And it was an old, what, soda bottle? Yeah, mine's an old shoe box from a Boston shoe okay, factory yeah. uh, that has casters on it. And it's a rolling storage bench now, which actually just holds our collection of rock band plastic guitar equipment. Because uh, <laughs> somebody came in and saw that my house one day and said, oh, I didn't know you had children. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured I should hide those things. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's genius. I'm being in restaurants, too. I see a lot of pallets and crates yes. and these things that I could probably now take back to the home and uh, changing something else. But to flow into DIY projects, there were a couple more, like the wine box crates on the yes, wall. I love those. Um, genius. And my girlfriend works in wine, so um hoping to maybe incorporate that into the house. Well, there's so many beautiful things that you can get if you work in the food service industry from just cast-offs, like actual 
just like pots and pans. It can turn into beautiful wall displays to actual crates. I mean, a crate can turn into just about anything. Well, the silverware um, curtain hooks. Yes. So simple. And I mean, we all have sort of dinged up spoons and things that we end up throwing away. But if you just bend them a little bit, they can be really clever hooks for curtains in yeah. the kitchen. And that was Kate Pruitt's? Mm-hmm. That was Kate. Yeah. yeah. She's our DIY editor awesome. at the site. I, because she had that and she also had those, uh, speaking of recycling plates, the, the cake stands. Yes. That were made up of little plates with uh, old candlestick holders. It's probably one of the most popular projects we've ever done on the site. And it's so simple. It's just epoxy glue and two old things you can easily find at a thrift store. But they're fun. And you can even you can use spray paint. You can customize the tops of them. But cheap, easy. Those are usually our beginning requirements for a project. Yeah. Derek Fagerstrom. Yeah. Is, is that how you say his name? Fagerstrom. Fagerstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lauren Smith did the wine crates on the wall but then they also did those really cool bleach towels yes can you describe that process i know batiking but i don't know this that well it's inspired by batiking which is just a classic way of dyeing fabric um but you use those sort of mr bleach pens that you can buy at the grocery store and they're perfect for patterns we just use denim napkins for that and you just trace a pattern and it eventually sinks through because it's bleach that's all you have to do you wash it once and you're set But those pens don't work on any actual countertop. I've never gotten them to work to actually brighten <laughs> tiles, but they're great for fabric. Yeah, I, because it, it, I'm sad to admit that I have seasonal napkins at my apartment. <laughs> you do. Yeah. I don't even have seasonal napkins. So it's going napkins. into fall. So I'm thinking like, oh, okay, what can we do for fall? And after seeing that project, um, I think I know what I'm going to be doing this weekend. Yeah, it's really easy. You need like an hour. That's it. Yeah. But they're also uh, the ones that made what? I now covet as my favorite DIY project, which I hope to do soon, is the shower curtain. Yes. So practical. Yeah. And it's a shower curtain with storage on the outside. Mm -hmm. So literally just pockets and... It's perfect, especially for those of us who live in small spaces. I mean, I don't have any storage, even in the new apartment, which has lots of room. There was no built-in storage in the bathroom. So having something like that where you can throw brushes or, you know, whatever sorts of sponges and whatnot you need in the bathroom into something that sh- that actually saves you surface space is so priceless. Because especially in New Yorkers, we just, we don't get surface space. Yeah. But... We are also very thrifty, and we'll go back to salvaging, uh, recycling certain goods. And, you know, we drink some wine at the house. And seeing those <laughs> wine torches. Cheeky torches. Yeah. Those That's were. the one that everyone, we ran that on the site, actually. That was one of the best ofs we pulled from the site that everyone's convinced is going to turn into like a Molotov cocktail and kill all <laughs> your guests. But yeah. we've made them before several times. They really are not dangerous, and they're so much more beautiful than regular tiki torches, especially if you use like the cobalt bottles we used for the yeah. book. Or and you really can literally beautiful. use it as a candle on a table. Absolutely. Yeah. But absolutely genius. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, come back, talk about a couple more DIY basics and what to have in your you know, DIY pantry. Here with Grace Bonnie of Design Sponge, I'm Michael Harlan Durkell. You've been listening to The Food Scene.
Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.com. Here today with Grace Bonnie of Design Sponge. We're talking about her new book, Design Sponge at Home, and all the fantastic DIY projects you can do. Um, but we're also going to talk a little bit about food because on designsponge.com, there are two sections now that uh, I almost religiously read. The first one being In the Kitchen with and Hi to Christina. Um, <laughs> I, I'd been emailing with Christina actually She's because great. I was going over to Italy and she is. She's based a lone over there. Italian blogger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she gave me some tips on places to go. But I, I constantly, constantly go back to that section because it they're not made by chefs. They're made no. by designers. Mm-hmm. Um and with a smart aesthetic in mind. So it's not just super goulash slopped on a plate. And some of the more recent ones, and I'm gonna totally butcher uh this name. How do you say the donut one that was recently posted? Oh crud, I don't know her name. Not even the name. It, it's Louis, oh. uh, Lusa Weiss Berliner's. It's the Fafkuchen. That sounds about right. Fafkuchen. Yeah, I don't know how to say. Sounds right. But they they were yeah they were donuts yeah. and they just looked Berliner's. Yeah, yeah. Just call them that. Yeah, yeah Ichheim Ber- Berliner. Yeah, exactly yeah. like the JFK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the the chai tea s'mores yes. done by oh, the girls who made those came to our Philadelphia book signing yeah. and brought those to us. Yeah. They were amazing. Yeah, it's good to be on tour, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweets get brought to you all the time. Um, what else was there that was awesome? Oh, the bitter ballin. <gasps> yes, those were great. Christina does a really good job of trying to have foods that are native to countries that are not the U.S. that people can try. And I think in general, our readers are pretty open to trying new things. And you can only run so many U.S.-based, yeah. you know, southern comfort food type stuff before people start to want something different. So she's done a really great job of branching out to people in different countries lately. Yeah, and bitter ballin is like a stewed oxtail mm-hmm. made into a croquette. Uh, yes. And it's danish i think mm-hmm. or something like that yeah so i was really surprised to see that and thought it was excellent because speaking of southern it always seems like the summer is the summer of the south yes so <laughs> you, you hit up all those you know fried dishes and exactly. you know great tomatoes and and produce but then once it comes to fall winter it's all about stewed and you know the heartier dishes it, it really is and that's what i mean our readers love that i mean for people who are really interested in things that happen at your home cooking is a natural part of that and that we've extended that into entertaining columns and things that we think will really bring people into a house and make them feel welcome and food is just part of that yeah behind the bar oh I love that column. Yeah, you can't you can't eat. <laughs> Who doesn't without, love a drink at about twelve PM on a Friday yeah, afternoon? <laughs> and I do not want to give up summer and yes. I want to hold on to that melon rumbala. Oh they do such a good job. Ryan and Alyssa who run that column in Philadelphia are two of the most stylish people I know their houses in the book. It's one of my favorites we've ever run. But they just are so good at cocktails. And Amy, who works with me, actually knows so much about cocktail history. And so between the three of them, that's something we've really gotten interested in learning about this year. Yeah. Do you guys drink at work? No, we no. don't. I'm not a big drinker at all. Yeah. I, I'm an admirer of drinks. I'm way too short. One yeah. cocktail and I'm asleep <laughs> on the couch. But so. what is your cocktail? Um, I'm pretty boring. I like anything with champagne in it. I like a French 75. There's nothing wrong with uh, bubbles. Yeah, but it always feels overly girly, and I feel like I get that, that overly girly rap anyway, so yeah. I try to, I wish I had drank something cool, like whiskey. Neat. Do you want to ask what I drink? <laughs> Wait, what do you drink? Is it pink? Yeah, pretty much. Pink, <laughs> up, fruited, and it usually has champagne in it. I that, mean, that sounds delicious yeah, to me. Yeah. I like it. So. I can gauge my, my tolerance with champagne drinks way better than hard alcohol, so... I'm usually a champagne girl. Yeah, they're sneaky. But eating-wise, what recipe do you most often make? Or do you cook? 
I haven't cooked a lot this year yet, primarily because of the book. I've just had no free time to cook anything. But I really do enjoy cooking. And I enjoy summer cooking way more than I enjoy winter cooking. Because I like things that can be cooked quickly, fresh, and just bought straight from the store or from the green market. I have a a go-to scallop recipe that I make way too much every (laughs) summer that I'm pretty sure Erin is sick of. But I love it. It's an adaptation of an Ina Garten recipe that's just shallots and wine and rice and delicious scallops that are fresh yeah. and anything i can make in under like 20 minutes is a go-to for me yeah there's nothing wrong with a go-to recipe though it's it's a go-to for a reason yeah exactly no one complains about it it's fast it's yeah relatively inexpensive for two people and any adaptation of an ina garten recipe usually makes me happy agreed, agreed. i enjoy her very much yeah um well i think you guys have the same kind of entertaining modicum this idea of how to set a space yeah, I mean, I like to think of her as, as my pretend New England mom. I mean, I would never want to replace my own mother. She's the best. Yeah, but. you know this is on air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a call after yeah. this. No, I, I met Ina Garten one time after a House Beautiful event, and I actually like felt myself starting to cry when I was saying hello to her. Like I feel that, that strongly about her. There's just something so overwhelmingly welcoming about her, and she smells like vanilla in person. Really? Yes. I mean, could she be any more delicious? No. She smells like <laughs> vanilla. She's amazing. Yeah, now you're gonna have a whole bunch of people sidling up to her, trying to <laughs> trying to smell her hair. Yeah, 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 exactly. I tried to do that. It's all right. <laughs> but at least we have confirmation of what Ina actually smells like. Yes, I, I could have only assumed it though. She's fantastic. How do you follow up after hearing about Ina smelling like vanilla? <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but I was thinking maybe we'll just talk about cats. All right. Um, that sounds like a natural progression. Totally not food related, but I can't go without mentioning a couple of the more cat oriented um, things in the book. And also the weird uh, occurrence that one of your cats is my nickname. Turf. Exactly. It's a good name. Yeah. Um, there's the recycled cat scratcher. Yes. One of everybody's favorites. I mean, we have a cat scratcher at our house, and our cat just tears through that thing. Yeah. So why not just use your extra boxes and make your own? Absolutely genius. If you have a couple hours, you can make your own, and that's Kate Pruitt's cat who's on it in the book, whose name is JFK. (laughs) He's amazing. Uh, We have a lot of cat projects. My cats are in the book several times. The first editor note I got from my editor of the book was, there are entirely too many cats in this book. (laughs) Why don't you do a design sponge for cats? Don't think that's not coming up. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. I, I will be first in line for that one because after seeing the cat suitcase bed. Oh, how cute is that? Well, I'm going to need a giant suitcase. I, I have a 20, yeah, a 25. Yeah, I have fat cats yeah, too. Yeah. So he's going to need like a, a duffel Plus bag Plus size bed. cat yeah. book. We could do that. Our cats are both hefty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then where do you go from cats? That, that's, that's a hard thing. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Uh-oh. When you were in college, I was reading through preface. Uh, the book that you were a big fan of TLC's Trading Spaces. I was. It's not embarrassing, no, per that's se, not so embarrassing. but going home after, you know, a long day of classes rather than going out partying and hanging out. Oh, yeah, and, that's not cool. No, and just flopping down in front of Trading Spaces. I only find myself doing that now with House Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was essentially already in that, like, acting like a early 30s stay-at-home person <laughs> at age 20. Yeah. But, but that was what was comforting to me. I mean, Genevieve Gorder, who's the first home in the book, was the reason I really discovered design with a capital D. I always thought if you were going to work in art, you had to be a painter or a sculptor or an amazing drawer. And yeah. that was it. And I didn't know interior design was an option. And the way she did it was so fun and so DIY and just off the wall. And seeing that as an option just blew my mind open. And I started redoing my dorm room and all my friends' dorm rooms. And that's how it all began. Yeah. What were the first dorm room projects? 
I remade a project that she did. She built a weird light fixture on the wall where she essentially built a three-sided box, like a giant frame you put on your wall and used a circular bit and drilled like little holes all into the front of it and put push lights behind it so you could stick your fingers through and turn it on. So at night, it looked like a night sky on your wall. Yeah. So I made a couple of those for everybody's dorm room and bought all the little push lights at the Home Depot in Williamsburg. Huh? <laughs> what, what school did you go to again? I went to, I graduated from William and Mary, and which is in Colonial Williamsburg. And then I moved up to Williamsburg here in Brooklyn. So are there, I graduated. are there push lights still in people's dorms or did they take them with them? I don't know. I sold, I built an entertainment center as well, which was terrible looking, but I built it. I sold it to another friend who then sold it to another kid. So it could still be kicking around the Ludlow dorms at William & Mary somewhere. That's awesome. I mean, did you ever improve, not that there were kitchens in the dorms, you know, usually it was like a micro fridge or some hot plates. You'd ever dress up the, the kitchens, per se? Not so much. I did make a floor cloth, though, which was super Virginia of me. I made, like, a wax floor cloth that was a checkered pattern for the dorm I had my senior year. Other than that, I only improved the kitchen by eating everything in it. That's my, yeah, that's my mantra. <laughs> um, but trading spaces... I, being a fan of House Hunters, do you watch that show often? I don't watch a lot yeah. of HGTV anymore. Yeah. I've, I'm glad. It seems like they're reaching out to a younger audience now, and most of the bloggers I know have been approached by them to talk about doing things. I'm not sure if that means they'll get TV shows, but something like that. So I think they get that they need to aim towards a younger audience, but it's not it's not edgy enough for me. I, I want to see, like, I miss the Genevieve Gorders of people who weren't afraid to build a rust wall or a moss wall yeah. in somebody's <laughs> house. I mean, it's crazy, and it's not it's not right for every homeowner. Or like a succulent wall. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there should be something interesting like that. I want DIY to have that little bit of, like, whimsy. I hate that word, but whimsy in it. Yeah. No, it's true. You know, it's funny. I mean, not to say House Hunters for, like, the third or fourth <laughs> time in a row, but I've learned things like backsplash. Yes. You know, everyone wants a great backsplash but i don't really see many mentions of it in you know your book or your yeah. blog because it's, it's not necessarily a focal point that's more utilitarian you yeah. want something that combines those two like yeah i don't really focus on just like we don't talk about appliances and yeah. things like that i feel like those are things we all have you can't really do much with them maybe you can think of something to cover them up but i'm more on the end of covering them up than thinking about fine ge appliances you can buy for your kitchen yeah so what are the focal points of your kitchen uh my kitchen doesn't have a focal point right now other than the uh, skylight and the roof that I focus on yeah, instead. Just look up. Just but look in up. general, I usually try to have something large on the wall that's a focal point. It was the pegboard last time. In general, they're usually small spaces, so I try to focus on color. But I, you were mentioning backsplashes. Those are a great place to play with pattern because you can get a piece of acrylic cut to size. And you can actually either just use a sheet of wallpaper or actually wallpaper that little space and then put acrylic over it, drill over it, and then you have pattern and it won't get wet. Yeah. Subway tiles are always pretty, too. That's awesome. Heath Ceramics makes beautiful tiles for backsplashes. Oh, well, going out to San Fran soon, and oh. I always want to carry as much back as possible. Yeah, I got to hit up their seconds their, their seconds area, their Sausalito shop. You can buy oh, their tiles for, like, yet. a third of the cost. You'll never leave. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, exactly. Just go there with carry-ons only and check a bag. Exactly. Yeah. Just fill it up with tiles. Yeah. I usually fill it up with beans, so uh, it would be... You're going to be fun for the security checkers, aren't you? Well, I always have, like... <laughs> It's always like 10 pounds over and they're like, what's in your bag? And I take out a bag that weighs about 10 pounds. Of beans. Of beans, Rancho Gordo beans. And you should have seen me on the book tour I had. I was traveling with a wood-burning tool for demonstrations to do on TV. <laughs> that freaked out every security guard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're carry-on only, you said, right now. Yeah, we, we have morning TV in a lot of these places, so we can't afford to check bags if we're late or delayed. I've got to sort of run. And in Philly, I had to do a segment with Elliot Yamin from American Idol. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he was on before us, so... 
you know, small scale local TV. Yeah. That's so us. What, what else, what other leg of the tour are you on? You said West Coast. What cities are you hitting? We're on, we're doing 30 cities between now and December, everywhere from the West Coast to the Midwest. Um, so we're doing LA, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver next week. Then we come back and we do the South. We do Atlanta, Athens, Georgia, some places in Carolina, South Carolina. We're doing most most major cities. Yeah. You know, we try to hit as many as possible. And most people don't do book tours anymore. So we're happy to be able to do what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, most people go out and party during book tours, too. So I hope you at Not least us. taste some regional cuisine. But I also totally hear you about the face mask thing. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going we're going to have three days in Portland this coming weekend, which is unheard of on a book tour to have more than one day. Yeah. So I plan on hitting up Pak Pak and as many regional places in Portland as possible. So you've been to Pak Pak before? Yes. I spent all of July in Portland this summer. Yeah. And my way through the city <laughs> best well, way to do it what else is hot out there i've never been oh you never okay no. pock pock spicy wings are a must brunch at tasty and sons they have the best fried chicken biscuit i've had outside of the south which is a high compliment coming from a southerner um drinks at saint jack's strongest cocktails i've ever had well, i'm pretty <laughs> sure i embarrassed myself in numerous ways there this summer stick to the champagne yeah, yeah those places are amazing uh le pigeon is really great uh broder like Scandinavian inspired brunch delicious there's yeah. so many Portland's yeah. great for food and how are the interiors of that restaurants awesome it's it's so much like Brooklyn yeah. it's a place where they really pay just as much attention to the aesthetic of the restaurant as they do the food and they don't overlook the food at all but it's amazing you could eat for weeks and weeks and weeks there and never run out of places and late night food at Biwa they have a burger they only make like 10 of them a night yeah and you can split them with four people they're that delicious and big yeah I'm going out to Portland Jack, I'm going out to yeah. Portland. Go on a diet before You're not you going to see me for another couple of weeks. <laughs> um, and I will come back 10 pounds, 20 pounds. Heavier. I came back eight leg. pounds heavier. Well done. Eight pounds in three weeks. Yeah. That's pretty good. And percentage-wise, that's, 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 that's pretty big for yeah. a five-foot-tall person. Yeah. That's a well large done. percentage. Well, Design Sponge at Home, I can't say enough about this book. And you have changed my apartment forever. And my kitchen. <laughs> and my cat, possibly, too. Uh, I like once it. I find a suitcase large enough for him. <laughs> But thank you for being on again. I mean, it's a pleasure. And hopefully we'll have you back uh, for Design Sponge for Cats. Sounds good. Thanks for having Excellent. me. Grace Bounty Design Sponge. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. 
14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Goat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985. following messages from Bubby's. Bubby's Main Street is thrilled to announce a fall program of special dinners celebrating efforts to renovate American agriculture and the American menu. Each event will feature a conversation with persons who are deeply involved in a significant aspect of this project, followed by a meal that illustrates materially and pleasurably the themes under discussion. From our perspective at Bubby's, we observe and participate in three parallel movements that are gaining momentum in the New York region and around the country. New farmers supplying green markets and alternative food networks with produce and animals raised without relying on an arsenal of chemicals or industrial methods. New artisans reinventing food crafts and a fresh appreciation of authentic American cooking from all regions and communities. For more information about these events, visit bubbies.com. That's B-U-B-B-Y-S.com. Or contact Danny Finkel directly at 646-338-0422. This is a message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today. 